0: Welcome in to episode number 10 of Don't Retire, Semi-Retire. I'm John Jagay. Zurich Oz, welcome. Good to be back with you. Thanks for having me back again, John. So we're in episode 10, um, our gap year extension. Let's cover where we're at very quickly so far in our previous nine episodes of this process in case you're tuning in for the first time.
1: To kind of summarize the process of where we've come so far, uh, step one, you have your final choice about what you want to do. Two, you did the basic math. Three, you compared your current life and then your chosen life. Four, you decided that you still want to continue. Uh, Five, you did the advanced math, calculus, time value of money. You talked to advisors, CPAs, attorneys, made sure you could do it. Number six, you checked the math twice with your advisor on your financial projections. Seven, you did the math about the actual cash flow. Eight, you finished your gap year prep. Nine, you went on your gap year, and now we're about two months left in your gap year.
0: So, we're 10 months into our 12 month gap year. Yeah. And we are uh, deciding whether or not we want to extend it, keep going, and where we're at. Again, we come back to our dating analogy just for ease of understanding for our listeners. And, well, I'll be honest for me, uh, where are we at?
1: (laughs) Right. And basically, as we talked about before, like marriage, retirement or semi retirement is not a one time definable thing. It's a process, a journey, or whatever cornball analogy you want to use. But, you know, it's a good thing because otherwise it'd be super dull. Luckily, it's got definable steps like marriage or relationships have. And with money, the steps are define it, figure out what you want, vet it against your values, plan to test it, test a little, test a lot, take your final tests, you know, make a final choice and then be sure, do the math, check it twice, run a stress test, then finding the gap year. And now we're kind of at the extend or start again process. You know, what did you love? What did you loathe? Where are you at in the process? Do you want to
0: continue or or start all over again? And we talked about in our previous episode, the emotional roller coaster that happens at the beginning of that gap year and then kind of riding it out and getting settled in. And now you're in a better position at month 10, month 11 to evaluate if you want to keep going or not.
1: Right, exactly. You're kind of in the reflection phase about what you want to do. And to be frank, and I can't stress this enough, you got to count your blessings. You know, if you're at this phase in the process, consider yourself very lucky It's very hard to get to this point where you can decide what you want to do for the rest of your life, not to mention be at the part of actually testing it. Very few people have the opportunity, so it's fantastic you're here at all. So regardless of how scary or frustrating it is, still got this far.
0: Okay, so the extend or start again, let's start with the overview here.
1: Okay, the first part of this is really a reflective sequence. You're at month 10, so that means you've, you've gone through all the steps of the gap year and you're reflecting upon kind of where you're at. You feel like you got it, you feel confident. And in this sequence, the sequence is an important part. You're maybe starting at month three before, maybe nine months, maybe 10 months, depending on your process. And you ask yourself the following questions that we're going to go over every week. You record your answer trends and you pay attention to your heart. So what we're trying to do here is create a quantitative way to review whether or not you like this versus the, I don't know, maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, like you just, the
0: emotional part is important, but it, it doesn't quantitatively answer the question. I think as time goes on, you might look back and minimize or maximize different feelings you had and say, oh, that wasn't so bad or, oh, that wasn't so good. But if you have the data, you're recording it in real time, you can actually have the information to look back at and keep yourself honest.
1: And that's very important because the first six months of the process, you're still getting used to what you're trying to do. But by this point, you're kind of in the zone and you're going to have some distance from the difficulty of making it happen. But you also are in it every day and hopefully in it to win it, right? So... The components are, number one, the loves and loaths. What did you love? What did you loathe? Number two, what must you have? What can't you stand? Number three, the problems. Can they be solved? What can be solved? And then other problems, what can't be solved, right? The overall score is uh, one to 10 with no fives, as we know, because we Mm -hmm. don't sit on the fence. Uh, Number six, can you strategically push up the score? Seven, great versus good enough. Eight, how did it feel? And then
0: nine, the decision to extend or start again. Okay, so we're going to break these down one by one. First one seems pretty straightforward. That's loves and loaths.
1: Yeah, like what was great? What was the best thing that you, that you really enjoyed that you would do every day if you could? And then what were the things you absolutely despised? You know, So like, for example, what was great for me when I was in St. Thomas was I got to play in the water in the ocean every day. It was always 85 degrees. I couldn't really beat that. What did I hate? The traffic was atrocious. I couldn't get what I wanted and the internet didn't work at all and I couldn't get water. So
0: I was out. <laughs> the next one makes me laugh because uh, I don't know if you'll admit to this, but I'll admit to have uh, dabbled in e-harmony when I was single. And that's oh, yeah, where that this goes. phrase comes from. You know, <laughs> yeah.
1: must haves and can't stands. They're important. <laughs> Absolutely. And on this part of it is what must you have? You know, what did you discover that you must have no matter what? So, for example, a lot of people know that uh, a lot of women prefer humor over beauty. People really want they value humor. You must have humor in a relationship. Beauty is less important. You know, luckily for me, you know, you're a beautiful man, John, but I, you know, who knows? So the bottom line is, <laughs> it's it's nice to have the sense of humor, right? And you need to have that in a relationship. The other part of it, so in, in this situation, for example, in St. Thomas, I couldn't get internet. That was critical. I mean, I, I if I can't have that, I'm dead in the water. And so that was a must have that I kind of assumed I could get every, everywhere in 2018, but I couldn't. Right. Mm-hmm. And then what can't you stand no matter what? And again to to go back to your e-harmony analysis, you know, most women, at least in my experience on e-harmony, would say that a cranky man isn't worth the money, power, or beauty. Not at all. You got some crank who's yelling at the kid to get off their long all the time. It's never worth it, right? I remember seeing racism was a big
0: can't yeah. stand. Like, yeah, you probably yeah. don't want to date somebody if they're racist. That's That seems like an obvious statement, yes. but for whatever reason, it was one of those things that, uh, oh that you could God. choose.
1: Yeah, that was so sur- – I remember that. That was surprising. That's how I met my wife was on Harmony, and that – both she and I – said we must have fire safety, which we thought was pretty funny. You know, we we're very firm about that. So there you go. Again, that goes to
0: humor <laughs> over beauty. Beauty <laughs> <Right>. faints, humor <laughs> doesn't.
1: So. Right, exactly.
0: And in my case, I was told I had a face for radio, so I had to make him laugh. <laughs> well, that works out for everybody, right?
1: So like in this part, like, what can't you stand? For me, in St. Thomas, was the traffic was difficult, the roads were tough, and I couldn't. There was something about the feeling, the vibe, and we talked about that a little bit before, about how did it feel? I didn't feel right, you know, and I couldn't put a finger on it, but
0: when I went through my whole list, my scores weren't high enough, so I had to try something else. Got it. Okay. So problems, the ones that can be solved and can't be solved. So the problems that can be solved.
1: There are some systemic, and by that I mean ubiquitous everywhere. Problems that you that can be solved. You know, can you solve them? You know, can you identify them? Like maybe you have too much gear. You brought too much stuff on your trip, you're lugging it all around, or you have the wrong gear. You should have brought a surfboard, but you instead brought water skis. I don't know. I mean, that seems obviously different or it's the wrong season. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too buggy. It's too wet, whatever. Or it's the wrong specific location. Like for example, I'm a big fan of France. I don't really like the Southwest. The food doesn't work as well for me. It's it's a great, you know, don't get me wrong. I like the people, the culture, but the food doesn't work right for me. You know, the weather doesn't work right for me. So can I just go to a different location and solve it? Right? Like in Hawaii, for example, you're probably not going to want to live at Hilo at the, at the top of the mountain, right?
0: Where it rains 200 inches right. a year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right.
1: And snows, right? You know, or did you need water? Do you need mountains or vice versa? Can you get better healthcare? Can you get better? And all these things are solvable. They're external, right? They're things, they're systems, they're data. Now, what about the problems that can't be solved? Like, for example, you don't like the food, like I found in Germany. You don't like the people, I mean, you could be like you said, we could be around racists or bigots or people that have some sort of misogynistic approach, don't believe in equality. And that's not wrong necessarily for their culture. I mean, I I would say the misogyny is wrong, but, you know, we come from an relatively egalitarian culture and that might not be where they are. It might not work that way. You know, the politics might be very conservative or liberal against your bias that you like, or the religion is really intense. Maybe it's a really, really strong religious culture that doesn't fit for you. You can't fix that, you know? I mean, there might be
0: a pocket that you can go to, but you probably can't get away from it. That's an important differentiator to make. So something we've talked about in previous episodes is the scoring and the data. You just mentioned it. The one to tens, no fives. That is so important. Hey, I'm not sure. Five. Go four, go six. Don't go five. Right. You got to
1: pick <laughs> one side of <or> the fence <laughs> or the other. Right. Don't be a coward. Don't be nice. Don't be Minnesota nice. Just one to ten, no fives. You know, so for every item you identify in the planning stages that you did a few episodes ago, you need to score it and how it ranks, right? And then also keep track of what's the total possible score. This is pretty straightforward math. At the end, so let's say you had 17 possible items. The reason I want you to keep track of the numbers to score is I'm trying to make the eventual scoring easier. So let's say, for example, you have 17 items, right? And you're on a 10-point scale. So of the 17 items, you had a possible total score of 170, but you scored 140. So you divide 140 by 170, which gives you 82%. If you can convert that to a simple 10-point scale, you get 8.2. I think we can all see how you get 8.2 out of yep. 82%. Or uh, alphabetically, it's a B, which isn't bad. Well, maybe B minus. You know, the funny thing is, in St. Croix, my wife and I say our objective is B minus. We want B minus or better, because then we're never disappointed. <laughs> you know, and that's how it is for a couple of type A's, right?
0: Absolutely. And how can you strategically push up the score?
1: That's the trick. If you get an 8.2, that's pretty good, right? For your first try in the long term. But if you're over 70%, are you over 70%? Why or why not? What was the thing, for example, for me, in the Caribbean and St. Thomas, the weather was such a critical component and the access to the ocean was such a critical component that I felt like I could duplicate that on a different island. Mm -hmm. It didn't have to be that particular island. But... If I didn't like the water and I didn't care about that, what was I doing, right? So could I solve the technological challenge of the internet that I had over there? Maybe, maybe not, right? So can you solve the problems to push up the score? That's the first part. And the second part, can you solve your attitude to push up the score? So maybe you're in a place like we talked about before in something that can't be solved. You know, food, people, culture, politics, religion. Can you let your biases go? I mean, you might be in a place with people that don't agree with you politically or religiously, but can you let that go? Can you personally change in a way that lets go of that score? Because, you know, when we travel or we go to some other situation where we develop some other objective, we're the alien. They're not the alien. It's not their fault. They operate in that system. And a lot of times we have to make our own choices to change in the modification. And that is the point. For example, my wife and I were going for B minus. She and I are both hardcore, double A, driving people. B minus feels like we're selling our soul, but we could never get even close to A and B minus we're happy. So we changed our attitude to push up the score.
0: And that speaks to our next point, which is great versus good enough.
1: This is the critical part. I have learned in my career and my life that good is the enemy of great. So I would agree with Tom Peters on that. And while I wasn't maybe I'd be a big fan of his book, on my deathbed, I would feel like I chumped out if I didn't do the work to get to great. Mm-hmm. And not everybody's like that. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you chumped out. Sometimes you don't need to be you know, diving in Hawaii. You can be diving in California or in Mexico. And, and I'm not saying those places aren't as good as Hawaii, but they're not as exotic. And if you really, really, really have to be in Hawaii, then you know who you are and you know why you're doing that. But it isn't necessary. Like if you're into diving, for example, or scuba diving, there's plenty of places worldwide in the United States that are easy to get to that you can dive at. You don't have to go to Hawaii. You don't have to go to Belize. You don't have to go to Cure Body. I mean, you you don't have to do that, right? And so I think that's the real trick that people get, especially Americans, they get stuck on. They have to have the best. And you know what? You don't. You know, in Florida, for example, I have amazing internet. I don't have that down here. Not even close. But it was good enough and I could make it work. So that's the question. Maybe it doesn't need to be the whole thing. It has to be great versus good enough. But if you can get to your standard level, can you live with that?
0: How did it feel is our next item? And this is an interesting one.
1: Well, this is tough, you know, because Americans tend to be super binary about data. Like we've talked this whole process about data and money, advisors, none of it's very emotional. I mean, to a certain extent, it can be. But, you know, once you figure out what you want to be when you grow up, which is an emotional process, then the rest of it to make it happen is very data driven and binary. But one of the things I think people miss is how do you feel about it? If you go through this whole scoring process and you know, say, for example, you, know, you have an item that you scored high on. So let's say you know, 1 to 10, you gave it a 9, which was like you can find health insurance and in location or they drive on the correct side of the road or you can get car insurance or whatever. Maybe you don't care about driving, right? So it checked the box for having good roads and safe cars, but you don't care at all. So then it gets a minus. Your heart doesn't care about the thing, for example. On my part, I love cars. I love fast, nimble, German, and I love that, but they have to be little, right? And so for me, it's critical that I can get the car that I like and the air that I like and drive the roads that I like. So my heart would be over the moon about that particular thing. So it doesn't matter, but you have to, as you go through each of this thing, it's a quick and dirty analysis, just like love. You know, do I like it? Do I care? Do I not care? Yes or no? Just like bang, 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 bang. And by doing it that way, You get a quick beat on how your what your soul really thinks about it. Okay. Versus what I think Americans often do is they just start to analyze everything and try to tell their soul what it wants. It's like trying to tell your soul who it finds attractive. It's never gonna work, you know?
0: Do you like them or you don't? So give me the quick back of the napkin math on this.
1: So what you do is on the good feelings part, you go through every so let's say you had like we talked about before, let's say you had 12 items and you went through the twelve items, and of the twelve, you felt good about nine of them. Divide nine by 12, that gives you 75%. You translate that to a 10 point scale and it's 7.5. If you do the percentages, it's a simple way to get you back to a one to 10 sort of score. By doing that, it's just, how does my emotion feel about where I'm at in the plan? Got it. You know, like this thing or not, I like that thing. It's just, a, it's a way to quantify emotion, which is supposed to be impossible, but apparently not. <laughs>
0: We have a system <laughs> and that goes to our overall scoring system, right?
1: Right. And this takes some finesse, really. If you're a data-driven guy who does podcast recording all day and, and lives, you know, in a bunker, then maybe you're going to be more 80-20 towards data driven, you know? But if,
0: <laughs> I feel seen.
1: Yeah, right. If you're an artist who's interested in art or beauty or gardening or whatever, maybe you're a feelings-driven person, then you're going to have to weight the results more 50-50 towards your feelings. So, For example, I'm more towards the feeling scale. You'd think I'd be data-driven, but to me, the location really matters and the weather really matters. And if I don't feel good about those things, it doesn't matter how good something is. I'm going to hate it. I mean, in a lot of ways, the data was fantastic in Minnesota. I could get whatever I wanted, but the weather just killed me. And that was it for me. And so that's not a rational decision, but it was really important, right? So if you go through this process, at the end of the day, if the data doesn't work, no amount of good feelings is going to solve that right? Same goes for feelings. If they don't work, no amount of data is going to solve it. You're trying to have a quality of life, or our tagline is live the life you love, right? In order to do that, you have to balance the quantitative with the qualitative. However, if you don't have enough quantitative, it doesn't matter anyway. So to get your score on this, it's pretty straightforward math. If you're the kind of person who thinks, well, gee, the data is more important than the emotion, maybe you're on an 80-20 split. Most people who are data-driven would say, I'm on a 99-1 split because I don't care about emotion. That's false. It's not true, right? So 80-20 is the highest you can go on the the data-driven side. If you're a feelings person, you should weight the results 50-50 because if you don't have half of the things that you need from a data side, it doesn't matter anyway, right? Okay. So if we use those examples, now you can fudge them any way you want. However, those are the maximums on both of those people. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So. To get your overall score, so let's say, for example, if we go ahead from what we did above, if you scored 8.2 on the data and 7.5 on the feelings, and we're using a ratio of 80-20 from data to feelings, then you multiply your data score of 8.2 times 80%, and you multiply your feelings score of 7.5 times 20%, then add the resulting numbers together. So if we do the math, 8.2 8.2 times 80% is 6.6, and 7.5 times 20% is 1.5. If you add those two together, you get an 8.1
0: overall. Make sense? Makes sense. We can put this math in the show notes as well. So great. now you can decide whether to extend it or start again as we start to wrap up. Right. So you've scored
1: this, and you're at the point of the way to translate this, and the way that I've discovered is if you score a 7 or better, it's worth another go, but maybe not for a full year. Typically, a seven can be improved. And so my rule of thumb is if I get a score of seven to eight, I'll try again for three months to see if I can push it over eight. Usually what happens is I really misjudge something. I had the wrong gear, the wrong weather, the wrong location, something that I obviously missed because it was my first try and it can be fixed very straight in a very simple way. If I get an eight to nine, I'll try again for six months to see if I can get it over a nine. Usually then it's more about finesse. You know, I was close in all my estimates. I traveled in the fall instead of the summer. I, I went to the south versus the north. I brought the wrong piece of equipment. I should have brought the drone, but I brought the camera, whatever. Like, it's more of a subtle choice. If it's over a nine, I make it permanent. And I try to do it all the time because it means I totally succeeded. And so on those numbers, if I had a nine, I would do it again for a year. I'd extend it to put a point on it. Start again. If you scored six or below, something is seriously wrong. You totally missed it <laughs> you know for me that was the saint thomas episode i was a three easily on that and the main issue was the internet was killing me and the water and the traffic and the whatever and so if it's four to six i look for timelines or, or sections that could be useful and the things that were useful to me was the weather and the water that was critical being close to the ocean and so i was like okay how do i pull those sections out of it and try it someplace else if you score less than a four You got to look for a salvageable item. You had a good idea about it. Maybe you were a fisher person and you really wanted to go fishing, but nothing else worked. You know, maintain your optimism, start over. You know, it's okay that you screwed it up or it didn't work out or something was against you. You didn't know, or there was a locust invasion or something. (laughs) But like at that level, you're just going to have to chalk it up to you learned and
0: start over. Zurich, in our next episode, we're going to talk about making the semi-retirement official. Once you get that number to that level that you want it to be, we'll talk about that in our next episode. Right. In the meantime, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to talk about this stuff, I love the don't retire, semi-retire, live the life you love mindset you bring to your clients as you do financial planning, retirement planning. What are the best ways to reach you?
1: Well, I've got a unique name. Uh, It's Zurich, like the city in Switzerland, and Oz, like the beginning of Austin. So spelled Z-U-R-I-C-H-A-W-E-S. If you type that into any web browser, you'll find me immediately. The website address is zurichoz.com. My phone number is 763-577-1900. It's available 24 hours a day. And my direct email address is zurich at zurichoz.com. Reach out to me with questions. I love to talk to people. That's why I'm doing this.
0: Great to be with you, Zurich. We'll talk next time. Thanks
1: so much, John.